The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you've got patients to see and I'm kind of lazy. On today's episode, we're talking about measles. Yes, measles. Unfortunately, we are having a recurrence of this around the country. So a colleague actually asked me for a topic for Journal Club. So instead of a recent Journal Club article about measles, because, well, let's be honest, measles has been around forever, we are going to talk about uh, a measles update or a measles how-to guide since most of us probably haven't seen a case of measles in our careers or haven't seen it in quite a long time. So with measles, what are we looking out for? Well, first, of course, measles is really just a viral URI with a rash. And if we think about looking for kids with this cluster of symptoms, that's pretty much all those snotty little petri dishes. Now, one of the big things before we start is that measles has an incubation time from exposure until symptoms of about 6 to 21 days. The average is about 13 days. So potentially your patient's not even going to have the start of symptoms from 13 days after their exposure. That matters a lot when we talk about how to manage these patients, and we'll talk about that here coming up. Measles symptoms starts with 2 to 4 days of fever, runny nose, cough, with, usually, pink eye. Now again, that's pretty much like every single viral illness out there. But oftentimes we will see coplic spots. Gosh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Coplic spots? Yeah, whatever. Uh, So, of course, as we all know from our studying of boards, uh, those are the little specks inside the inner lining of the mouth, and the gums, and the cheeks, uh, grains of salt on a red background. Now, these coplic, coplic spots start two days before the body rash starts. This obviously is our big hallmark. This is the giant red flag. Hey, this is measles, not some other virus. Uh, Obviously, it's a big red, blotchy, maculopapular rash. Almost always, in fact, it's the hallmark of it that starts the face and spreads the butt downward to the trunk and then out the arms and the legs spares the palms and soles. And while this is not necessarily measles specific, it is almost always the path this rash takes. The rash starts off as blanchable. I don't really know if that's a real word or not. And then towards the end is not able to be blanched. Hopefully that's the right way to say that. Of course, measles is highly contagious, among the most contagious of all pathogens that we see. Uh, 90% of unvaccinated with exposure to measles get measles. Uh, Infectious uh, people are infectious four days before the rash and four days after the rash. But outside of those eight days, not super contagious compared to those eight. The recommendation, however, is any non-immune person who has been exposed to measles has to miss work or school for, drumroll, 21 days, three weeks, uh, due to that long incubation period. Again, uh, from exposure to symptoms could be 21 days with an average of two weeks. 
So that's a long time to miss school and work. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Now, post-exposure prophylaxis with an MMR vaccine, it's actually pretty not great. Efficacy-wise, it's uh, not really recommended. For most cases, and again, depending on time of exposure, hemoglobulin is probably superior. There is uh, some protocols in place that you should look at based on the timing of the exposure to prevent any non-immune person from developing measles. So if you do have an autoimmune patient that is exposed, uh, assume they are getting measles because again, 90 plus percent of unvaccinated with exposures get measles. Uh, so just go look that up because you're not gonna remember it because I read about it 10 minutes ago and I sure don't remember it. So holding these kids out of school or holding adults out of work for three weeks is a big deal. But what's not usually a big deal? Measles itself. So we had entire generations of children who had measles and complications are rare. So we talk a lot about it mainly because these are preventable diseases and these are complications we don't have to see. So that's why we vaccinate. It's really terrible in immunosuppressed and it's really bad in pregnant patients, but usually for most immunocompetent kids, not a huge deal. There's biggest risks obviously are pneumonia, but that only happens in about 6% of kids. Hospitalizations from all causes are around 8% of kids, and even in our modern outbreaks we're having around the country right now, that seems to be about the rate of hospitalization with kids with measles. There's a lot worse things than pneumonia, obviously. Encephalitis is 0.1%, and death happens about 10% of those kids, so 0.01% of all kids with measles die. Again, this is not usually a terrible bug for most kids, but there's no reason that one in 10,000 kids who get measles should die from it. Again, vaccines prevent death, prevent, vaccines prevent morbidity, so we should always be pushing for it even if the disease is not that bad in most people. Now, the recommendation is to check a PCR for the measles RNA. I know we'll all remember that without having to look that up. Yeah, right, uh, but it's always better to check the PCR for the RNA than it is to check the measles IgM, which is unfortunately unreliable. Of course, notify the state as soon as possible, even when you start testing, if you think this is a legitimate case with legitimate exposures, and this might be the patient zero of an outbreak here in South Dakota, so always notify the state ASAP. Now, clinic protocol is a little bit interesting. Uh, every clinic has different protocols, but apparently best practice from what I'm reading is to basically shut down the waiting room if the patient walked in without a mask and for sure close off that patient room for the rest of the day and obviously clean heavily. We need to talk about getting the state involved early so they can contact the patient about or family in terms of getting all potential exposures to that patient zero. And if a patient or parent is worried it's measles, don't let that patient in the building without a mask. We have a ton of patients who are immunosuppressed or who would be at risk for developing measles, there's really no need for that patient to even be in the building. We can treat things over the phone or at least quarantine them behind a mask before they ever walk in the clinic. And that's it. So as we wrap up another podcast today, I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in. Uh, again, we'll get the information about the CME uh, in the link below or potentially edit this out and throw the uh, CME link in. Again, if there's any topics or anything you want me to address, uh, send an email either directly to me, my text it to me, or send it to primarycarepod at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you. Any comments or questions about this podcast, we can answer on future episodes, so please include the name, or if you want it to be anonymous, just let me know. 
Thanks for listening. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you you don't have to be up all night to be up to date. Try and have a great day.